Coming up next! Actually, coming up right now. Who needs credits? Who needs them? Especially needs for them? a very special episode like this. An episode that I am calling Ender's Pregame. All right. This, this is the episode where Jake is going to lay out his entire defense strategy because he's going to go up against the <laughs> the trial master himself. I think you mean Jake's going to create his entire defense strategy. Well, Jake... You have been tasked in the epic Ender's Game trial that is upcoming in our okay. next episode. Okay. I hope in our next episode. Okay. Brandon's got a kind of busy holiday patch right now, but Crick Don't Rise and all that sort of thing. Our next episode will be Ender's Game, The Trial. We've done mm. one other trial for people who don't know. By the way, I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient post. That's the pastor who's a master of reading right there, Jake Menzel. That's me. Uh, we, We've done one other trial in our run, Jake. Indeed. Do you want to tell, tell people about this? Yeah, uh, we did a trial of... Uh, what's the name of that book? It's, it's on one of my shelves over here. I don't know. The, in the uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One, yes. The world that we're all quickly moving into now that old Zuckerberg's... It's launched the metaverse. Yes, yeah. the metaverse and all that. Yeah, Ready Player One. Put it on trial. And uh, I sure made Brandon... Squirm. And then dance, and then what What else does one make one? It's do? like I had him under the imperious curse. He just did what I wanted him to do by the time it was well, done. Well, you got him to... And I exonerated. He, uh, I got him to put uh, Ernest Klein and Leo Tolstoy in the same sentence in the same category. And admit that <laughs> Klein was better than Tolstoy. I mean, it was a massacre. It was, it was a the, massacre. It was a massacre. Yeah. And so... It uh, was it's like, uh, you know, OJ's attorney's... I had nothing on me that day. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, you you were full on. If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. All <laughs> yeah. that good stuff. Um, yeah, it was it was a bloodbath. And I don't know, how are we feeling? You know, so I let a murderer walk free. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was so bad that as the judge, I had to help step in and kind yeah, of help Yeah, it was Brandon two on and one. <laughs> and I still won. <laughs> basically just canceled the trial because... <laughs> Not not so much to protect Brandon as to protect you because people were going to feel so bad towards you for being such a, I, think, I believe the technical term is a mini pants. <laughs> yes. That something had to be done. <laughs> so. You know, I just felt like I was tasked with defending. Um, yeah, I felt a little bit like Saul Goodman mm-hmm. <laughs> in his role as public defender. And right. What was I supposed to do? What were you supposed to do? What was I supposed to do? The only thing to the only thing to do is get get a little dirty and take the gloves off. And I mean, the fact was you ha- you had some points because Ready Player One is a perfectly fine book, and Brandon overshot a little bit. You know, I mean, you 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 can't actually prove that Ready Player One isn't a perfectly fine piece of fluff. Yeah. Well, and and the problem with with Brandon is he does tend to overshoot, and it's a function. 
dare I say it? I know he's not here to defend himself when I say this, but it's a function. You know what? I won't say it. Mm-hmm. I'll say instead it's a function of his high stupidity and high standards. <laughs> I was going to say snobbery. Snobbery. But but when he when he demanded that Ready Player One be held to the standard of War and Peace, then basically he wrote off all the rest of literature. And that's where I had him. And then uh, he wanted to talk about the moral superiority of Tolstoy. And right. And that was his fatal flaw because once you've put once you've asked Ready Player One to basically be the Bible, it actually can't because or not Ready Player One, sorry, War and Peace. Once yeah. once you've asked War and Peace to just be holy writ, it actually doesn't work because War and Peace is a flawed work written by a flawed man. And so And the minute that you point that out and start punching holes in that, then everything unravels. And so Yeah. That was it. That was the whole ballgame. But we're going to give Brandon a little bit of an advantage if he wants it, because he can actually listen to this episode. This episode will be out in time, Ender's pregame. He can listen to Ender's pregame, and he can mount the best prosecution against Ender's game that he wants to. Because yeah. I'm, I'm going to sit here and make you outline a defense. I mean, it's not like you can't call additional witnesses or keep mm-hmm. some surprises up mm-hmm. your sleeves, but uh, let, let's at least sort of begin to outline a defense of Ender's Game and how one might defend that book. Well, it should be easier because it's a better book and I... It's a much better book. I actually actually like it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) As opposed to Ready Player One, which is is a a final piece of trash. It is a fine piece of trash, but it is trashy. Yeah. Yeah. The the morals are bad and the... Well, the the morals in Ender's Game aren't great, but um, it's sure a bit of really interesting and compelling dystopian sci-fi right that i really enjoyed thoroughly from yeah. the moment i started it I, yeah he does a good job of getting you on the hook and keeping you there propelling you forward and so i think from that standpoint and this is one of the things that we talk about a lot here and also in other places if you want to be good you need to at least be interesting mm-hmm. and if you're not interesting and compelling then forget it. You don't qualify as good. If you can't make me turn the page, then I don't care uh, about your insights or your moral perspective or your style or your characterization or your anything. It doesn't matter if you can't make me turn the page. Yep. Then you lose. Um, <clears throat> if you want to be one of the greats or if you want to have something successful, you actually have to be readable. The kind of thing that people want to read and will actually turn the page on. And so, I mean, that right there is probably out of the gate. Um, one of the things that Card has going for him in a really strong way. So you've got page turning. Let me actually interrupt right there to interject. I have actually read about Orson Scott Card that he has developed a technique for keeping readers turning the pages. And he says it's a mechanical thing that can be taught. It's just something that he figured out early in his career. And he's got like just a died in the wool technique that he uses. I don't know what it is. He actually says you don't want to learn it unless you want to be a commercial fiction writer and you don't care about fiction because he says once you've learned it, it will unravel so many of your favorite stories and you won't be able to see anything but this. You won't enjoy them. You'll 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 it'll reduce everything to mechanics for you. And so he says you don't want you don't want to know my technique, but I've got one. 
which is something I remember reading years ago and it's stuck with me. And it, I kept thinking of it during Ender's game because it is, I don't know, I don't know how much truth there is even in what I just said, but Ender's game is one of those books that you just keep turning those pages it's on. It's page Yeah. Yeah. So, and anyway. so you have, I mean, a lot of the things that we respect just from a foundational level, I mean, any good work, you have a good plot, a compelling plot, compelling structure, good setups, good payoffs, interesting characters, interesting character development, interesting world building. It's all there. And so uh, in a lot of ways, Card has a lot of the same talent level that he brings to a book like this that J.K. Rowling brings to Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. that some of the best uh, adventure story type uh, writers that we've read were sci- sci-fi writers that we've read uh, Bradbury very similar uh, talent stacks as as a right as a writer yeah um, and his ability to be you know just thoughtful compelling interesting interesting world interesting characters interesting moral dilemmas and just a well-told story that keeps you turning the page all those things are really great really kind of fun really cool and one of the interesting things I think really worth talking about, uh, I suspect Brandon will come at the morality of this book. Yeah, that's what I was thinking I would do if I was in his shoes. And that will be probably his first point of attack. I think the defense that I'll just go ahead and show my cards um, as I, because I'm... <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, well, they're coming to me as I am talking it out. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the moral perspective of the world that Cart has created is necessarily the moral perspective of Cart. I think right. it's as much a dystopian sort of horror novel as it yeah. is anything else. And so it's not meant to espouse the, the world that uh, Ender inherits and lives in and is forced into. It's all the, the asp- sociopathic kind of dark stuff is not aspirational. It's, no. it's just, quite the opposite actually it's 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 a tragedy it's sad that these kids grow up this way and that they're yeah talked into doing the kinds of things and pay the kinds of prices that they have to pay and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah they're used and abused and you have the their handlers who are you know feel the moral dilemma of it themselves and have made a machiavellian choice uh, put these kids through horrible things and made them do horrible things and made them into horrible people and it's all just sort of dystopian and so while so if i if i'm brandon at that point i say yeah but part of the part of the kick part of the hit that you're taking is wouldn't it be cool if wouldn't it be cool if you were turned into sociopathic killing machine and you weren't even really morally responsible for being turned into that right how cool would it be to be to have that kind of to have ender's power you want Ender to ace all of the games and you're always happy that he does so well at being a sociopathic killing machine. You're never not happy that Ender does exactly what his stupid dystopian society expects and is programming him to do. Yeah. If anything, you're, you're happy that he circumnavigates the rules so that he can figure out an even more efficient way to brutally get done what they want, basically. So, Yeah, and... You know, he has to be human still. 
right. in all the right ways in all the right places in order for that to work and be sold. He doesn't know that he's responsible for anybody's death until it's all over. Right. He doesn't know that he's responsible for genocide until it's all over. Right. <laughs> he thought he was playing a game. That's right. the whole conceit, right? He didn't know that he killed those kids. He knew that he was in danger and he had to fight his way out of it. Right. And he was bred special. So, there's a little bit more precision and a little bit more intensity in his kicks and punches and whatever else he did than let me, he, let me just, he was capable of. I just want to say, in case the format denies me the ability to ever say this, another opportunity to say this, the fact that Ender's Game ends up being Ender's Genocide is one of the best twists in sci-fi. I love that twist. And uh, it's an obvious twist, and it's one yeah. that everybody kind of knows now. And and maybe it was even obvious back then, but I still just love I it. I think it must have been obvious back then because I did not know it going in, but I knew it pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, I knew that that's, that's where we were headed, that there would be a certain point at which he's going to play a game, and the game is the actual war. And right. But I don't. And to what degree has he been playing it the whole time is sort of a question that I was, I figured would be interesting to find the answer to. Right. But, I don't think that a twist is good because it surprises you. I think a twist is good because it fits the world and yeah, tells, and it, tells a story. And yeah, it's it, done effectively. It, yeah. it it feels inevitable and it it completes the story in a way that makes sense of everything else. And that's what it does. And it's really great. Yeah. As you can case, see. Yeah, you were giving Brandon's counterattack or potential. Yeah, the only... I mean, I'm going to argue, well, it's not the worldview that he's espousing or that he's putting forward for us to embrace. It's something that we should be horrified by. Mm -hmm. And the the right response to that is, yeah, but part of what's compelling about everything is you're cheering Ender on the whole way through it. We, we can say, oh, no, John Wick was forced to become an assassin again, but we're, we're still enjoying watching John Wick shoot all those bad guys in the head. Right, right. And so that's the, that's the place where my argument crumbles a little bit uh, as the defense for, the, for my client. Um, let, let, me, let me play Brandon and push it even a little farther, and, and we'll see if we can. So also, just in terms of entertainment value, you are forced to live in a very sour world with a very sour protagonist and a very sour set of moral dilemmas and a very humorless kind of story. Yeah, but not is for this book. Is not this book me. actually fun? Yes. And part of it is it's the right length. It's, you don't have to live there for very long. Right. Um, it's not the same as, you know, Blood Meridian. Right. Right. <laughs> Which... I mean, that's a stupid comparison, I guess, but Blood Meridian, because Blood Meridian is pretty vile, but right. also you have to live there a lot longer. You you have to live in depraved headspace for a long time in that book. Right. In Ender's Game, you don't, you don't live there long. You're propelled forward to the end uh, pretty quickly. But it's still like, even even if it's just a couple hours in a room full of secondhand smoke as opposed to the full lungfuls of cigar smoke that blood meridian is it's still if i'm brandon i'm gonna argue just kind of unhealthy and frankly unpleasant to spend so much time in this humorous sociopathic yeah and that world. yeah and I, humorless i think you meant but yeah and i and i agree i agree and that's why 
um, I'm not going to give the book to my kids and I'm not going to bother with the sequel, although I thought about it, but I'm glad for having read it. And I think as a piece of craftsmanship, it's everything that you could want from a uh, commercial pop craftsman. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing, there's nothing uh, from a craftsmanship point of view that you can really fault it with, mm-hmm. except not being War and Peace. Right. Which is not what it's trying to be. Um, so, yeah, if, if, uh, and, and this is also a reason that I thought about reading sequel, because what I, what I read, uh, which you guys probably covered in context, but, you know, the book was originally a short story in a magazine right. in the 70s that he built out into a novel and add this, this and release the sequel the following year. So they came out back to back. And so it's a two part story. And then the, of course, the Enderverse is like endless and right. impossible. Um, but, um, but it does make me wonder, you know, it gives you that bit at the end, that bit of hope. That bit of you know, maybe Ender will really does rise above his programming, become a whole person. Maybe he figures out how to save this alien race. You know, um, maybe it ends up. Maybe we just saw Acts one and two, right? And we get another act where it's the healing of Ender. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't know. I don't know actually how it goes. I don't know where it goes from here or what and maybe it's worth asking yeah i don't know i haven't read them i have read other orson scott card things and read a lot of short fiction by him in my time and it's worth noting that a he seems like a very conscientious man you know i mean he's a mormon he's still with his first wife he he seems like a just a thoughtful decent you know not somebody that we would consider a brother in christ obviously but just a a decent pagan sort of person um with the weird extra spin of religiosity that comes from his mormonism um but the other thing is he's got a lot of flavors in him he can do much more garish overtly horrific like stuff that's not a slow burn like this but is much more just like flamboyantly disgusting um not not like in a blood meridian way or a stephen king way or anything but just you know he can be he can be more overt and um his the terrible stuff that he does and then he can also do much warmer you know more familial more happy more you know a mentor that actually feels lovable um type stuff and so i don't know so this is a you know it's not like this is his only mode I think, I think this actually adds to your argument and detracts from Brandon's hypothetical argument. This is not his only mode. He's doing it intentionally here. He's building a particular kind of world with a particular kind of point that he wants to make. And it's not, it's not the thing that he does all the time or the only thing that he can do. Um, you know, it's not like if we tried to read those other Duncow books and figure it out as I believe we would have that Walter Wangeren had about one thing that he could do. Um, so I'll throw that into the mix. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing that Brandon might try to do is attack style. Mm -hmm. Um, if he does that, I'm not going to have a lot of patience for it. I rarely do. I think when an artist, when a writer 
has a style that is unobtrusive and gets the job done, then his style is successful. Mm-hmm. And if you can read Card without thinking about his style, then he's doing exactly what he means to do. And that's a, a remarkable feat in and of itself. And that's the way that he reads. And that's the way that any kind of commercial pop artist needs to function. And it's an art. And it's a, it's uh, it's denigra- denigrating to the to the artistry of somebody who can do that sort of thing well. I just because it's not high art doesn't mean it's not art. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's another point where um, I'm ready to fight. Another front I'm ready to fight on. Well, and also it just to write a great descriptive paragraph with p- prose that just sings. I don't know that that's any harder than consistently staying out of the way right. the way a truly great pop pro stylist does. I mean, and just to give an example of how hard that is, I'd say somebody as great as J.K. Rowling does it maybe 70% of the time. Right. Sometimes right. sometimes she's just really, really good. And then sometimes she's lazy and she gets in the way and she piles up the adverbs and the and especially the dreaded adverb that comes after he said you know he said laughingly or he said smoothly she likes to she has she has some annoying tics and mannerisms and bad style things that actually are for anyone who loves language you don't have to be a a hyper snob to just be kind of annoyed and trip over them a little bit yeah but card 95 plus percent of the time is never in the way no i think of all the people you know of madeline l engel of everyone we We've read who's just a sturdy, popular pro stylist. He, he may, might, he, uh, Frank Herbert. I, I, he he's he might be the best. I mean, he might right be the best. I, I think I I think I'm I think I'm willing to stand on that or stand behind that. At least put I him in the. I can't think of who I would put ahead of him. Right. I can think of um, lots of people like uh, Ready Player One guy, Ernest Klein, who have something vaguely annoying about them or have little right. mannerisms or texts that I don't like. I mean, Herbert's pretty good, but. But Herbert gets in his own way more often than I recall Card doing. Same yeah, with I mean, Rolling. In yeah. in you know in it, they're also at disadvantages in the sense that uh, their books are massive, and this is a short, tight, compact little thing. Right. So uh, that's another you know. But then again, you know, he stays within his limits, right? Mm-hmm. Like he stays in his lane, and he doesn't make mistakes there. And so this book. Um, as a piece of genre fiction that knows exactly what it's trying to be is pretty perfect that execution uh, in its execution. Like you can, um, like I can picture And here's the other uh, amazing thing about this book um, too, that I just think guys, ha- have you read, have you read a piece of 40 plus year old sci-fi that just straight up th- feels like it could have been written last year? Like, what in the world? What in the world? Like, I did not realize how old this book was until I was almost done with it. Yeah. Like, I forget, like, there was one little thing about knobs and buttons or something, like, in one of the final chapters where I was like, wait a minute, how old is this book? <laughs> no, he does a great job and, with the, com- the, com- the specific computer game. He kind of straddles the line where it could be more VR or it could be like a 16-bit thing. You don't really know. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he really straddles a number of lines nicely so that it just... It just totally translates. Really like, I was just... I was imagining for most of the book my own futuristic little version of this 
thing that I did not, and it wasn't, I wasn't translating. I wasn't taking Bradbury's ideas of, you know, mechanical hounds. <laughs> right. All, I, I, I just thought I just lived easily in that world mm. as a world of the future. And that, I mean, talk about some visionary stuff like, mm. um, Star Trek and whatever else doesn't, doesn't touch it. Nothing Bradbury did touches it. Bradbury is a great parallel because Fahrenheit 451 is such a silly retro book. It's so 1950s from the fact that Montag has a housewife at home to the mechanical hound to the way that the fire truck, like every bit of technology. There's there's not a moment of that book where you don't trip over how old-fashioned and silly all of Ray Bradbury's sci-fi conceits are. Yeah, I mean, think Back to the Future was was after this uh, after this book, and this book lives <laughs> lives yeah. in our future way better than uh, Back to the Future does. So I will say, since I want to circle back to the style thing and say, I think actually now that I'm off my soapbox, J.K. Rowling and Frank Herbert are both better because they're taking much bigger risks. They're actually trying, like J.K. Rowling, for all her annoying ticks is trying for some transcendent beauty in places and she's trying for humor and whimsy almost all the time and those things are just much harder to do well and and so she stumbles a whole whole lot more and frank herbert same thing he's trying for this kind of grand quasi biblical feeling narrative yeah oh that's fair and, and so he stumbles and it's kind of stupid and silly in some places but it's because he has way grander ambitions than Orson Scott card does. Yeah, that's, that's fair, but that's not an attack on card. That's just, no, that's just, I mean, I'm just simply, it, I'm just making the case that I'm not going to give an inch on style. If yeah, Brandon attacks on that front. And I don't know where else you would attack. You're going to attack morals. You're going to attack style. And, and then at the end of the day, Brandon's going to say it's a waste of anyone's time. You just say, when in a world where we've lived with the novel for hundreds of years, where there are so many truly great things, why would we bother? Why waste a second on, on Ender's Game on Orson Scott card? I'm annoyed that we had to read it or something mm. like that. Like, I don't know that it'll actually go that far, but for the sake of preparation, let's say that he does. Mm-hmm. You know, Brandon, some things are fun and some sci-fi conceits allow you to ask tough questions mm-hmm. and there are other things going on in the background of this too. Like uh, people are only allowed to have one kid. Mm-hmm. Like this is a highly engineered one world, one humanity thing. That is what the only thing that could unite us is a common enemy. And it's a bunch of interesting questions, right? Like a bunch of interesting thoughts and well, places the other that can with- get people thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty prophetic and in some little way. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the other thing that's so silly about that argument is the false binary. You can have Shakespeare too. You can still right. read Tolstoy. I encourage people to read Tolstoy. If, if someone's only reading Orson Scott Card, I encourage them to stop reading Orson Scott Card and read other things. But if somebody just wants to read Ender's Game and, you know, read a couple of them, that's fine. And, and then they can read good things. You know, you can have a diet that involves steak over here and asparagus over here and potatoes over here and it's it's fine yeah you don't have to try and tell me that 
steak isn't the same thing as ice cream. Duh. Yeah. Well, maybe this will just be like Guy Ritchie's immortal classic Sherlock Holmes where he just told us how you were going to beat the crap out of Brandon and we saw the slow motion version of it. <laughs> and then the next episode will be the fast version. Or maybe Brandon will listen to this episode and he'll be Sherlock Holmes and he'll see where like all your attacks all the are chinks coming in the from. armor. Yeah. And he will come prepared. We will give Brandon so the opportunity. I think if Brandon listens to this, Brandon will come and I'll just be like, I give up. I think if he's a fat loser, that's what he'll do. I think <laughs> if he's any kind of a man, he will take acknowledge this. that I've already won before the fight was ever had, just like Sherlock in that in those movies, and, and then come up with the clever thing that Sherlock would do, where he would totally bust up. I mean, I I, I think there's some thread he could find. He he could come harder at morality, probably. I mean, he could. He could really try and make a run at morality. Um, dangerous, probably undoable, but he could he could come even stronger than we did today. Well, that'd and, be the place. And uh, but if you're going to come at the king, you better not miss. So if he's going to come at me, he better land that blow. If he's going to be swinging, you know, if he thinks he's got a puncher's chance. He better connect. Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm not I'm not gonna. I'm going to be an impartial judge on this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not going to stop the bloodbath. Everyone just might have to learn to hate you, Jake, because if you just beat the crap out of Brandon, then I'm not He'll have stop. deserved it. He'll have deserved it. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I'm pulling for him. I hope he learned a few things from last time. And, you know, I, I hope he at least gets a glancing bl- blow at the king before he gets the crap beat out of him. Like... Can he make if you bleed? He, yeah. Can he make me bleed? That's the question. That's the that's the, the real question in my opinion. Uh, maybe you're just the height of arrogance, though. Maybe he comes <laughs> in wipes the floor with you. Maybe yeah, he's it, the king. It's been a long time since we've had a trial. Yeah. <clears throat> it's true. I think... Batman yeah, ended up defeating Superman, after all. He did. He did. The son of Krypton himself, defeated by... Immortal, mere mortal. Immortal detective in a bat suit. Actually, it was it was uh, abomination or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Defeated by a, a crazy Lex Luthor type guy uh, named Lex Luthor. What are the other great upsets in history besides Batman v Superman? The great upset <laughs> in history. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Yeah, yeah. David. David nobody. I'm just a giant him. Philistine. I guess that that might be the great. Upset in history. It's the one by all uh, by which all upsets are measured. Yeah, it is. It is. What are what are the, like the great David and Goliath stories of all time? Besides David and Goliath, what are what are the other great upsets? <clears throat> trying to think of sports movies. Moses and Pharaoh. Moses and Pharaoh. The the Russians beating Kurt Russell and his Russia. The Americans beating the Russians in the yeah. hockey thing. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman and his white guys <laughs> beating all those big black guys. <laughs> in Hoosiers. <laughs> in Hoosiers. <laughs> the most inadvertently politically incorrect movie. Harry uh, <sighs> defeating Lord Voldemort. Hey, yeah. Percy deve- defeating Nagini or Percy. No, what's his name? Not Percy. Neville. Uh, Neville. Yeah, I don't know why. Percy. Come on, Percy man. Neville's like the yeah. best thing about that book. He, he is. He is. He actually gets a, a real hero's arc. I'm like certain characters whose name rhyme with Barry Blotter. Okay. Well, this has been Ender's pregame. If you're listening, Brandon, 
I'm pulling for you, man. Go ahead and I, throw I want, in the towel, Brandon. It's okay. Brandon, it's going to be bad. Throw in the towel. Oh, the towel. I'm not, towel. I'm not letting you. You, you can't just I'm come not, here. And see. <laughs> I'm Ivan Drago. Yeah. <laughs> well, if Brandon wants to defend America <laughs> against living your, in America, your communist, whatever it is, whatever the word is, I want your communist, bodacious brutality. That's mm-hmm. not the word I want. Uh, ferocity. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> All right. Ender's pregame. We'll do a great patron read at the end of that trial. Whoever wins will get to greet the patrons. The loser won't even get to talk to the patrons. They can just sit on the sidelines with Dracula and Frankenstein. Hmm. But, yeah, I think that's everything. We've laid out your entire strategy. Jake, do you have aces that you haven't shown? I'm not going to ask you to show them. I'm just saying. I I don't presently have any cards up my sleeve, but you never know what will happen between now and the date of the trial. Mm, got Orson Scott card up your sleeve, and that's all you need, my friend. The only card I need. <laughs>